All right, so we are continuing in our series through Romans 8. It's a six-week series, and we are in week five of six. All right, so turn in the Bible to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 26 to 31. And if you're using the Pew Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, you can, you know, the verses will be up on the screen. Well, actually, the Romans 8 verses won't be on the screen. Um, Some of the cross-reference stuff will be. Uh, But you can find a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, and you can turn to page 944 and find our passage. So I'm going to read Romans 8, 26 to 31 in just a minute here, and then we'll dive in. I want you to just think big picture. If you're not familiar with Romans 8, this will be helpful orientation. If you are, it's just a good reminder. Okay, so what is Romans 8 all about? What's it here for? What kind of effect is it supposed to have, intended to have on us? Well, we've seen repeatedly over the last few weeks that it's intended to give us assurance and certainty and confidence and relief and peace, peace that passes understanding and hope. This passage is full of hope. So anybody out there in need of any of those things? I am, okay. So all of this, not in some sort of like rose-colored glasses, you know, perspective, but all of this in the midst of our sinfulness and our struggles. It's on the heels of chapter 7 where Paul is saying, wretched man that I am, who will free me from the body of this death? I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I should do. So all of this in the midst of our sinfulness, our struggles, our weaknesses, our sufferings, and our groanings, which we're going to look at um, in some detail this morning. All right, so we'll look at Romans 8, 26 to 31, and look at it in four points. Okay, so what we have, what we know, how do we know what we know in the previous point, and then what shall we say? Okay, so those are the four points. Um... There's an outline out in the lobby. If you didn't grab one and you want to run out now, that's fine. You can go do that. Points will also be on the screen, and you can follow along that way, too. All right, let's read Romans 8, 26 to 31. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? All right. So point number one, what we have. Look with me at verse 26, verses 26 and 27. So, Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So, first off, this is obviously connected to what came before, because the first word is likewise, right? So that means there's some connection or some similarity between the help of the Spirit here, or help of the Spirit previously, and what's coming right now. All right, so let's look back at verses 23 to 25 and catch a bit of the context here. So last week we looked at this, not only the creation, so the creation groans having been subjected to futility at the fall, you know, thorns and thistles and all of that, the curse as a result of sin. So not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So even though we're new inside, right, spiritually, so you're a new creation in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, these bodies still grow old and decay and die. And we long for the day when everything is made new, including our bodies, right? So we groan awaiting that day. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So the creation's groaning, we are groaning, and now we're going to see that the Spirit is groaning. So those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan, eagerly waiting for the renewal of our bodies, the resurrection, the all things made new of Revelation 21 and 22. That's our great hope. The Spirit helps us hope for the right things. So it's the people who have the Spirit who groan inwardly, awaiting the renewal of all things. So the Spirit helps us to hope for the right things and then to wait for them with patience. So if you, how many of you know, Is He Worthy? That song, we've sung it a number of times. Um, Andrew Peterson so if you resonate with that song, that's like a picture of what's going on here. The Spirit dwelling within us. Do you feel the word world is broken? And how do you respond in the song? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. You can go ahead. Um, but do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from breaking through or getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Yes, we do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is the new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we're so thankful for Romans 8, because we need the reminder. So the Spirit helps us as we groan, directing our hope and sustaining our hope as we wait for the renewal. So likewise, verse 26, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. So what is this weakness that Paul's talking about here? What kind of weakness? Well, get my trusty pointer out here um, and show you a little the structure of the text here. Hopefully this will make it clear. Chad, if you want to put that next slide up there. So the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for. So do you see how the Spirit helping and the Spirit interceding 
are two ways of saying the same thing. And our weakness and we don't know what to pray for are two ways of saying the same thing. So the weakness specifically, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we're weak, right? But the weakness specifically that Paul is talking about here and addressing is the fact that oftentimes we just don't even know what to pray for. What is God's will in this thing? I mean, aren't I asking for the right things? Oftentimes we're just frustrated. We don't know. And sometimes we're suffering so deeply we just, we don't even have words. So there are wordless groanings at one time or other in every believer's life. Have you ever gotten to that point when you can't even pray? Or you don't know what to pray? Well, if you haven't, you will sooner or later. So these groanings are a result of the presence of the Spirit within us, right? All is not right in the world. All is not right in us. And we're not okay with it, so we groan. Sometimes we cry out, Abba, Father, right? Back in verse 15, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. We cry out, Abba, Father, help. But sometimes we don't even know how to pray. And we, we just groan. So maybe it's a long-term struggle. Maybe it's a long-term struggle with lust, and you gave in again. or struggle with loneliness and you're so weary of the aching isolation and sense of just kind of like always being on the outside or maybe it was betrayal by some so-called friends or maybe it's a struggle with chronic pain you just groan You don't even know how to pray anymore. You've prayed that the Lord would take it away so many times, and obviously he hasn't. Maybe you're feeling the deep struggle with futility and frustration over and over again. All these things, you think they're good desires, and it just seems like doors closing and frustration left, right, and center. Or we can groan because of our failure, and we just keep replaying and just, ah, Sadness, grief, loss. could struggle with anger, letting it get the best of you again, and you said things you regret and you can't take them back even though you can apologize for them and you fear you've hurt others and you're not sure what to do. Ugh. But even then, in our weakness, especially then, in our weakness. When our groans are wordless and unutterable, the Spirit takes those groans and translates them. In a sense, He is creating that groan and then translating it to God, to the throne of grace. So we're at a loss. We don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit takes our wordless longings and our grief and our frustration and helps us by interceding for us according to the will of God. So he who searches hearts, the Father, knows and responds. So I love this quote by Ray Ortland. I've quoted Supernatural Living for Natural People, that little book on Romans 8 that he wrote a number of times. I'm going to do it again, I think twice this morning. Um, 
It's a great book. I encourage you to go get it and read it. He says this, in verse 26, the Spirit groans through our own struggles in prayer. He is in our struggles, directing our faith to God, not letting our faith die. Sometimes more than conqueror, more than a conqueror means you're still hanging on. Directing our faith to God, not letting our faith die, helping our hope to persevere. He is lifting through our wordless yearnings prayers that he himself translates into the wisdom of heaven. We still agonize. And sometimes we may teeter on the very edge of the abyss, but why is it that our hearts still lay hold of God and refuse to let go? It's because the Holy Spirit is helping us. He helps us in our weakness. So God knows our weakness and our struggles and our groanings. We, we're confused, we're uncertain, we don't even know what to ask for. But brother or sister in Christ, look at what you have. You have the Spirit's intercessory help. And so that is part of the reason why we can be confident that we will be more than conquerors, that we will persevere. Just think about it. That's what more than conquerors look like, looks like here. Groaning, not even knowing what to pray for, but the Spirit interceding and helping us in our weakness, and we keep going. We don't give up or give in or walk away from Jesus. So we are never without the Spirit. That's what we have. We have the Spirit. We need to remind ourselves of this. Again, Ray Ortland, he said, and when you have a stroke and cannot speak properly and you find yourself cut off even from those who love you most and all you have left is a desire to go home and be with the Lord, he will hear the longings of your heart. I also thought, you know, sometimes I wonder what I owe to my mother's faithful prayers. And I could give some specifics for how God's answered her prayers over the years, and I'm incredibly grateful. And I've wondered, I remember her saying how much she felt the loss when her mother passed away, my grandma, who was just an amazing prayer warrior. She died at 100. My little Italian nunny, grandma. Um, so I wonder what it's going to be like when she, my mom, goes to be with Jesus. Some of you lost parents who faithfully prayed for you. And I don't say this to minimize the human loss, okay, the pain and the ache and the loss, but I think this is encouraging here. We will always have the Spirit's intercession. And we need to remember that. We're not alone. So what we have, the Spirit's intercessory help, Next, what we know. Verse 28. Really well-known verse, right? And sometimes it can get thrown around in such a way that people kind of are dismissive of it because it feels like this Bible band-aid. And maybe you've suffered deeply and somebody just threw this verse at you in, in kind of an insensitive way. Well, let's not let that keep us from really experiencing the weight and the power of this verse. It's incredible. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So is life a game of chance? Is it a gamble? Is it a matter of luck or 
unlock, if that's even a word? Should we be superstitious and try to just figure out how to pull the levers? Is life governed by karma? Is fate blind? Or is the world that you and I live in governed by a sovereign God whose providential control extends over everything and everyone? I think, I, I think we know the answer, right? I kind of like, you know, the way I set that up, you're probably guessing where I land. Um, so we do know, right? We know this verse. If you're familiar with Romans 8, you know this verse. But do we really know what his providential control means for his people? God wants us to know. Because again, he wants us to be certain and sure. He wants to give us confidence. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In verses 26 and 27, we don't know what to pray for. But here's something we do know. (laughs) We know that God's in control and he's working things together for good. So, simple little implication is Romans 8.28 is not incompatible with groaning. It's a promise for those who do groan. So, it is a promise, but we need to note something here. This is not a blanket promise for all humanity. Did you notice that? This promise is for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So, from a human perspective, it's for people who love God. Okay, not just churchgoers, not just people who kind of check the boxes and in intellectual assent to facts about God in the Bible, but people who actually love God. Do you love God? Does God own your heart? So mere Christian or kind of religious niceness or a moral veneer, that's not Christianity. Christianity is about heart change from the inside out, about a miracle of rebirth and renewal, taking out a heart of stone and putting in a new soft heart that beats after God. So Christians are people who love God, not because they are so smart and they figured it out, but because he first loved them by sending his son. 1 John 4, 10 and 19, in this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice in our place for our sins. We love because he first loved us. So, From a human perspective, as far as our lives go, we love God. That's who this promise is for, those who love God. But underneath that, it's for those who are called according to his purpose. So underneath our love for God is God's calling of us. His summoning of us from spiritual death to life, from darkness to light, from slavery to sin to freedom under his lordship, from love of the world to love of him and others. So for those who've been called by God and who as a result love God, we know, and we need to be regularly reminded so we don't forget, we know that God is working all things together for good. Good. What kind of good? We should define some terms, right? So maybe two things we need to determine. 
what does this all things mean? And then what's the nature of the good? So first, all things means, you ready for this? I did, you know, like extensive Greek word study here. All things actually means all things. I shouldn't be flippant with this. It's too serious. It's, if even 1% of things is outside the scope of the all things, what would you be tempted to do most of the time when you're struggling? You'd probably be thinking, well, this is one of those 1% things. No, all things is all things here. Like literally, really, even evil especially evil. Whether that evil is perpetrated against us or evil done by us. And that's never to excuse or minimize or turn a blind eye to evil. Absolutely not. We should fight our sin. We should oppose evil at every turn. This is not an excuse to excuse us or others or give perpetrators a pass. No, it's here to give hope to those who think either their sins are too much or to give hope that those who wonder if what has been done to them will ever be redeemed. God can, God does, God will superintend all things, including evil. So where people and the devil intends evil, God can and does and will intend it for good, just like he did for Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery. Guess what God did with that? Saved the brothers' lives by their own evil. Do you see? It's a powerful picture. Does that mean it was okay? No, that was evil and unjust. And they were really guilty, really responsible. But God intended through that same event to bring about good, to preserve many people alive. So it was true for Joseph. It was true for Job. True for Johnny Erickson Tata, who became a quadriplegic at 18. And she hates the fact that she's got to go around in the wheelchair. She can't wait to kick it to hell. But she lives this beautiful life of love, trusting that a sovereign God knows what he's doing, and through this weakness that has plagued her all of her life, she is strong in the strength that God supplies in Christ. And God has brought so much beautiful fruit through her life. Or listen to this Chinese believer who believes Romans 8.28. Zhang Rongliang, one of the most prominent house church leaders in China, was sentenced in 2006 to seven and a half years in prison. But even as Christians pressured communist leaders to release him, he was building a ministry inside the prison. Quote, I'm happy that you and others tried to arrange for my release, But in one way, I'm happy that you failed. He told a Voice of the Martyrs contact, you almost made a big mistake. If you had been successful, there would be no church in that prison today. So he was finally released 
about five years later, though in prison, the utter freedom of his freedom betrays our slavery and shames us. Lord, grant us such freedom in Christ that we will be happy for failures or unanswered prayers that serve providential plans for freedom. So maybe that's too arm's length, you know. Am I going to ever serve time for the sake of my faith? I don't know. Maybe it'll come for some of us. But one of my seminary professors, this is more kind of every day, but it's a beautiful testimony, Grant Osborne. He said, I have had chronic asthma virtually from the day I was born. I spent two childhood summers shut up in my house because my doctor erroneously told me I could not play outside due to the pollens. And guess what? He was locked up with his chain-smoking mother. I've prayed all my life for healing, and several prayer warriors have anointed me with oil for healing. God has never granted healing for my breathing problems, and now I have steroidal myopathy, muscle weakness from the prednisone I've all too often had to take. What I do know is that physical weakness made me what I am today. All I had was books, but they turned me into a scholar and a teacher and shaped my life for the best. God knows what he's doing even when we don't. So it was true for Joseph. It was true for Job. It was true for Johnny Erickson Tata and Zhang Rongliang and Grant Osborne. And it's true for you and me. We also need to define good. All things work together for good. What's the good? Well, this doesn't say all things are good. Kind of makes that point that I made before. This is not calling evil good. But the good gets fleshed out in the verses to come. We're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but 20, verses 29 and 30 show us what the good is. In verse 29, it's summarized in the phrase, conform to the image of his son. And then in verse 30, it's summarized in those whom he glorified. So the good that God is aiming at for us, that is infinitely better than comfort and ease in this life, is conformity to Christ and glorification. Full and final and forever renewal and healing and magnificence. So we know that for those who love God, all things work together for that good. For those who are called according to his purpose, okay? How do we know? How do we know that all things are working together for good? Point number three, the answer is found in verses 29 to 30. Sometimes I think we just take verse 28, pull it out, and, you know, quote it, but we divorce it from the reasons why it's true. The reasons why we know it's true are found in verses 29 and 29 and 30. So look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew. So we know all things work together for good. How do we know that? Because... Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So theologians, you know, pastors, writers have long referred to this as the golden chain. I don't know why they chose gold, maybe because it's precious. Gold can be kind of soft, you know, it could break pretty easily, so might want to pick a different material. Um, Everybody tracking with me there, you know? Um, Because this, anyway, all right. But we need to understand 
why it's referred to as the golden chain by examining each of the links in the chain. So first, God's foreknowledge. What is that? Does that mean that God looks down, like before creation, he just looked down the corridor of time and saw ahead those who would love him? And then he chose them. He predestined them to be his people. You know, so it's really the people who are kind of like sensitive and spiritual enough to love God. And then he predestined them. It actually cannot mean that. God looked down the corridors of time and saw everyone. But he didn't predestine them all to be conformed to the image of the Son, right? Not everybody in this world follows Jesus, and not everyone will be glorified, like conformed to Christ at the end, right? Some people are going to reject Jesus. So, what does this mean? I know that the questions are rising in some of your minds. Please, like just for the sake of really benefiting from the grace that's here. Can you just shelve those questions for a minute? Okay. The purpose of this text is not to have or win a theological argument. The questions are good. There's a time and place to kick it around. Yes, absolutely. But let's just make sure we hear what is being said here and the intended effect it's supposed to have on us. It is meant to put granite under our feet and encouragement and joy and steadfastness in our soul, okay? So what this means is that God set his affection. If you are in Christ, he set his affection on you before he made the world. Like before you were even born. Ephesians 1.4, before the foundations of the world, he chose us in Christ. So is that intended to offend our autonomy? Sure. Is that intended to humble our pride? Sure. Is that intended to win you a theological argument? No. (laughs) Is that intended to lead you to passivity or indifference? I'm chosen, so I'm good. No. Is it intended to lead you to despair or hopelessness? I'm probably not chosen, so what's the use? No. This is intended to prove that God is in control of all things from eternity past to eternity future, and he has good planned for his people from beginning to end, and nothing can thwart his purposes. So let's listen. Can you receive that grace this morning? Again, there's a time and place for the theological discussions and the arguments, but this is grace to be received for the stability and the assurance for our souls. So in this life, listen, let me make it maybe more uh, where we live, if possible here. In this life, you have or you will, I think it's probably true at least at some level for everybody in this room, everybody that lives, you're going to be rejected, you're going to be passed over, you're going to be snubbed, You're going to be marginalized. You're going to be ignored. You're going to be insulted. You're going to be treated with contempt. You're going to be dishonored. You're going to be treated as if you don't matter 
and as if no one wants you or loves you or likes you. Now, is all of that going to hit you at once? Some of you might feel like all that hits you at once, and it's just kind of like your constant experience. But at some level, all of us are going to feel some of that on and off. And here is your loving creator looking you in the eye and saying, I chose you. I want you. I am working all things together for good, your ultimate individual good, and the good of all those who love me and are called according to my purpose. I chose you. I set my affection on you before you were even born. I destined you before creation for glorious greatness. Like ordinary, pathetic, failing you and me. You will be conformed to the glorious image of my Son. That is the point of this. So those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Anybody fall through the crack on that? Those whom he foreknew, he also, same ones, predestined for what purpose? To be conformed to the image of his Son. Like, are you ever frustrated with how slow your growth is and it's one step forward and two back and you're like, I am such a pathetic Christian. You are destined to be fully and finally and perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. It's going to happen. What a glorious future God has planned for us. So this doesn't lead to like frozen chosen living. If you know what that means, then that's a helpful point. If you don't, we'll move on. Okay. This doesn't demotivate prayer or action or witness or whatever. It doesn't lead us to coast with fire insurance religion. No, this leads us to tremble humbly with joy. Like, why? Why me? Why have you had mercy on me? And God, God wants to give us security and assurance and hope. And then how can we not want to share that with other people? So again, this is not here for theological argument. Let's let it function the way it's supposed to function. Does it raise questions? Yes, of course. But don't let those questions keep you from what this is intended to do in your soul this morning. Listen, we are so small and ignorant. Like, I think we need to live long enough to have learned ignorance, you know? You need to learn how much you don't know. And I, I remember wrestling deeply with sovereignty of God and responsibility like for years and I'm kind of philosophically oriented and reading Jonathan Edwards, the freedom of the will. And, you know, at first I'm like chafing at the ideas of divine sovereignty and predestination, election. I mean, like those words. And then ultimately, well, it's in the Bible. I've got to like accept it and bowing to the authority of God's word. And then finally, delighting in God's wisdom and goodness. But again, sometimes I, in my, my kind of youthful pride. I thought, you know what, I'm going to come up with the perfect, you know, understanding and explanation of this and, like, resolve this for people. I mean, that's how I'm just confessing my sin and pride. Listen, we are just too small and limited. <laughs> We're not even good at being human. Anybody? Any amens there? Like, 
let alone able to fully comprehend the infinite wisdom of God. The infinite wisdom of God. So do you think that we might have some limits when it comes to understanding his mind and will and ways in eternity past? And how that squares with our understanding of freedom and responsibility and fairness and whatever else. Okay, I I know those questions rise. And we need to wrestle with them. But rather than trying to bend and twist the Bible to fit our theological systems or ignore texts that don't seem to square with our theological system, let's humbly submit to God's thoughts and ways and trust Him. Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Those whom He predestined, He also called. Nobody falls through the cracks. So the foreknowledge and predestination take place in eternity past. As we move to the next link in the chain, we're moving to the point when this eternal grace enters into our lived experience. Those whom he predestined, he also called. This is effectual calling. It's the divine summons. It's like, Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) This is not just the general call of the gospel. Sometimes the Bible uses the word that way, general call, like when the gospel is proclaimed, it's, you know, Whosoever will may come. This is what only God can do to raise us from spiritual deadness to life, to draw us out of darkness into his marvelous light, to awaken us from spiritual sleep, to live awake to his glory and his grace and our sin and our Savior. And yes, like what used to be lost, now it's our gain. And things that we used to count as gain, now they're just loss. So it can't mean the general call of the gospel because those whom he called, he also justified. And those are the same group. So the next link in the chain, justification. What is that? Well, we can use like a theological dictionary definition, you know, the judicial declaration of God where guilty sinners are pardoned and declared to be righteous in God's sight in Christ. And that's true. But again, it's not just for the sake of you know, having fat heads and, you know, getting all of our theological T's crossed and I's dotted, (laughs) we are guilty before the judge of all the earth and there's no appeal in this court. But because of Jesus, who took our condemnation on the cross, if you trust in Him, you are in Him, all of your sin paid for it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been set free. So the gavel falls in the courtroom of God. It's finished, paid for, no condemnation. Jesus took your sin. He gives you His righteousness. You are in the sight of God, righteous and accepted and reconciled to God. You are at peace with Him. That is glorious. It is finished. Jesus took the condemnation so that you and I would be pardoned and reconciled. If God has justified you, who can condemn? That's next week. And listen, he knew all your sins, past, present, and future, because he's got it all under control, right? Eternity past to eternity future. Nothing you're going to do is going to surprise him where he's like, oh man, I didn't think you guys would get that be that slow to learn, that pathetic, I actually rescind. No. Those whom he called, he also justified. And last link in the chain, those whom he justified, 
he also glorified. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it all the way to the day of Christ Jesus, return of Christ and the renewal of all things. So this is so certain, you've probably heard this before, it's in past tense. What do you mean glorified? That hasn't happened yet. You're right, it hasn't. But it's going to, and it's so certain that Paul writes about it in past tense. Because again, what's the point of Romans 8? Assurance and certainty and hope and confidence. It's fixed and done. It's not in question. For those who love God, for those who've been called according to his purpose, he's working all things together for good. From eternity past to eternity future, you and I will be glorified. What does that mean? Well, 1 John 3, 1 and 2, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, this resurrection total renewal thing. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So think about it this way. In this life, conformity to Christ is slow and incremental, right? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we all beholding the glory of the Lord, you know, in the face of Jesus Christ, are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Little baby steps. So as we see Jesus by faith, we keep trusting him, we admire him, we become like what we admire. But it's slow, a little bit at a time. And there's lots of steps backwards, right? One step forward, one back, whatever. So that happens by grace through faith in Jesus, slowly and surely in this life. But when Jesus returns and we see him face to face, we are going to be transformed. This supercharged moment of complete conformity, transformation, renewal, resurrection. And we're going to be glorified. So listen, chains are only as strong as their weakest link. You know that, right? You could have like the toughest chain in the world. I was even looking this up like you know, what are the toughest chains? I won't bore you with the details, but there's some cool stuff out there. Um, but if you had the toughest material, you know, the toughest shape so that a bolt cutter couldn't, you know, but if one of those links, you know, the welding job or whatever's bad, doesn't matter how tough the rest of it is. There aren't any weak links in this chain. Whether you want to call it golden or made out of something else stronger than gold. Listen, we are tethered. If you're in Christ, if you have turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus because you just know your need, you can't save yourself. You can't atone for your sins. Only Jesus can do that. If you're trusting in him, you are tethered by an unbreakable chain of grace, reaching back into eternity past, reaching forward into eternity future. Our future, brothers and sisters, is incredibly bright, and it is so certain that God speaks of it in past tense. And it was settled in the past before, and, you know, one of our days came to be. All things work together for good. How do we know? Because of this unbreakable chain of grace. 
And listen, notice the answer to that question. How do we know all things are going to work together for good? Does, does the answer have anything to do with us? And I, I'm not trying to say we just, you know, there's a lot of fight in the Christian life. There's a lot of like, we're not debtors to the flesh, right? We've already talked about this. We need to, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. We've got to fight. But ultimately, this is all about His work, not ours. <laughs> so how do we know? How are we certain? Well, where is our work in verses 29 and 30? <laughs> it's only in response to receive. Okay? So God gets all the glory. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. So listen, you are going to be fully healed no matter what has been done to you. You are going to be fully redeemed, absolutely free. You are going to be utterly magnificent and glorious. You are going to be like Jesus with breathtaking glory. You are going to love your life for eternity. So what shall we say to these things? I have a few options here. I'm going to run them by you. Well, if God is sovereign like this, then we're all just robots. Is that what we should say to these things? If God predestines, then why did he even create those he didn't foreknow? If it's all predetermined by God anyway, why does it, why does it even matter what we do? What's the point in praying? What's the point in sharing the gospel? What then shall we say to these things? Is that it? That's disappointing. Yeah, but what have you done for me lately? No. Like, do you see how... No. What does this all mean? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So, multiple choice test. Ready? I, don't get nervous. I think you'll, you'll do okay with this one. So, what then shall we say to these things? How about hallelujah? Okay. That just means praise the Lord. And he, how about... Yes! Like fist pump. I mean, if we can get excited about, can you get excited about the Eagles? I don't know. Um, or your favorite team, especially if they're winning, and you pump your fist, and we never get excited thinking about what God's done. I mean, I can't do it. My voice would probably crack, but like yeehaw. I mean, we're kind of in the north, so maybe that's not appropriate. But like dancing? I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. Tears of gratitude, wonder and awe and humble joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We're going to sing it in a minute. And it is well with my soul. That's a good thing we could say. How about all of the above? Okay? There you go. Multiple choice. I just gave it away. All of the above. If God is for us, who can be against us? What is the purpose of these words of this chapter? What does God want to give you? You personally, brother or sister, what does he want to give you? Assurance and certainty and security and encouragement and hope and confidence. And just think about the heart of God behind these words. What do these verses tell us about God's heart toward his people? How is he disposed toward you? Do you go through the day feeling like he's disposed toward you that way? Like this is his disposition toward you? What does he want us to know? How does he want us to feel about his disposition toward us? And is that how we view him? Well, he's not only given us Romans 8. He's also given us the Lord's Supper to remind us and assure us and encourage us and nourish us and help us 
with these very realities, all of them blood-bought. So we're going to prepare our hearts to feed at the table. What, what are we doing here? What are we doing at, <laughs> at the Lord's table? Well, all we brought was need, but he, by his grace, brought us to himself and to his table, and he wants to feed us and nourish us with his grace this morning. So we're going to take a couple minutes to just prayerfully examine our hearts where we have been wandering. Okay, splash of cold water. Oh, why in the world would I think that life is anywhere else? Help me to just repent of my sins and run back to you, Jesus, and accept the forgiveness and cleansing that you offer. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he wants to feed you with his grace and assure you and strengthen you. Also, I would say, if any of you are here and you're not sure yet what you believe, you're not trusting in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, listen, you can, you know, leave the, the cup um, you can let those pass. We're actually not passing them. They're out <laughs> in the lobby or in the uh, back. So if you didn't grab one, you can grab one in just a minute here when the musicians start to play quietly. So, you know, abstain, but also ponder what this passage says and the heart of God behind it. Because this is the God who sent his son in love that whoever believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. And maybe you would be called this morning and transferred from death to life. And if you have questions, I'd love to talk to you. Or I'm sure maybe if there's someone else that you know here, they'd love to talk to you about Jesus. So let's prayerfully prepare our hearts, and then we will participate in the table together. And again, if you weren't able to pick one up or you forgot on the way in, just go ahead and go back and grab the elements um, and bring it back to your seat and we'll all participate together in a few moments. Oh God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for these glorious promises and this hope that is ours that is invincible. Please feed us on your grace now that is ours only in and through the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his body broken for us, his blood shed so willingly in love. So remind us of these things and feed us on your grace, we pray in Jesus' name.